reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. The fans get up and they get out of town. The arena is empty, except for one man still driving and striving as fast as he can. The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup. But he's driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by Seeky. I'm your host, Bobby Skinner, here with my co-host, Justin Pennick, And we've got a mailbag pod. The trade deadline has come and passed. Obviously, we talked about the Leonard Williams trade on a, on a separate podcast, so we won't get into that much. Um, Justin, are you surprised that an Adore Jackson deal did not get done? No, I was already surprised that a Leonard Williams trade got done. Um, so I, I will be very satisfied with gaining a second and a fifth round pick during this trade deadline, and if teams didn't feel like a Dory Jackson was worth it, either financially for them, or they just didn't feel like maybe a Dory Jackson has taken a step back, which he has. I don't think he is the same player that he was last year, and maybe even the year before for the Giants. So I'm satisfied with the things that transpired this trade deadline for the Giants. Yeah, and the Giants were trying to move a Dory. Now, when that four o'clock deadline for restructuring contracts hit on Monday, it made it a lot harder, but. I said on the pod yesterday, I mean, the person who gave me the Leonard Williams news said Adore, they're working on Adore next, right? And then Saquon's not going to be touched, which we talked about the Saquon stuff. We don't need to repeat ourselves on that. But uh, I did think somebody would – I thought a fourth-round pick would probably get it done for Adore, and I thought someone would be willing to wor- make figure out a way to make it work within their own salary cap to do that. Like, I know Wes Steinberg did the whole San Fran thing, but, like, I actually thought like for San Fran to go, going all in, all the extra comp picks they're getting – um, for D'Amico Ryans and, and Rian Carthon leaving, uh, and, and Mike McGlinchey, I thought that they might be like, like aggressive in going and getting a corner. And then the Bills went and got Rasul Douglas. But I, I did, once the Leonard Williams was traded, I was like 85, I was like 80% plus I a little sourced up, no big deal. I did think Adore was going to be done, but I, part of it, I think is Joe Shane, which leads to you getting a second and fifth for Leonard Williams, kind of draws a line. In trade negotiations, like, hey, this is what I want. If you do not go, uh, if you go, if you do not pass this, I am, I am not making this trade. I am not simply just going to trade people for the sake of trading people. I think yesterday's 4 p.m. deadline, that's Monday. Monday's 4 p.m. deadline was more important than Tuesday's 4 p.m. deadline, where Monday's yes. 4 p.m. deadline was to restructure contracts. And I think if the Giants felt, if the Giants felt like they could legitimately get an Adoree Jackson deal done, or if they did have a deal done on Monday by 4, they would have restructured Adoree, got the deal done before Tuesday at 4 p.m., and then goodbye Adoree Jackson. But I think because we didn't hear about any contract restructure before Monday at 4, I think that's partially one of the reasons why NFL, te- NFL teams are like, all right, well, we'll give you a draft pick, which don't you know, which you know how valuable those are. Even day three picks, like they're valuable. You know how excited we get about day three picks? So they are valuable because it's guys you could have on the four years for cheap. So I think it's like, well, if we're going to give you one of those draft picks, we also need you to eat the salary. And the Giants were not going to do that with the Dory Jackson because they did not restructure him before Monday at four. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. So 
Uh, let's get into this mailbag, but first, Justin's episode is brought to you by some special people. We got, literally, his name is just Pizza Person. He's yeah. a person who's made, maybe he's made of pizza. He's not a pizza person, but he's made of pizza. We got Trey. I know like a million Trey's, uh, and he didn't leave a last name. Kyle Begley. Kyle begs to ask the question, has Kayvon Thibodeau taken a step forward? Craig Otens, uh, Otens and Wheat, Robert Peters, or Peter Roberts? Nope, it's just Robert Peters. Sean Lang. I feel like I know Sean Lang. And then sh- it's Shan, Shane, Sean, uh, Nurkar. I definitely got that one wrong. And you know what? I'll send you an extra sticker because I got it so wrong. Mm. Just ignore these people. If you want an extra sticker from Bobby, make sure you put a name that he can't pronounce. You just learned that. No, uh, you're no. That, then I'm going to address it to you and you're not going to get it because that's not so. True. Don't do that. True. Uh, Tom. Thibodeau's lips look very red tonight. Looks like he was having an Italian ice before the game. Patreon.com. Poser. Patreon.com slash Talking Giants for $2 a month, plus some of the cheers. (laughs) uh, You can watch the shows live. By the way, Talking Giants this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. God forbid we're going to take a Thursday off, and then we'll be back on Friday for a preview pod. So how do you like that? Coming at you three days of the week so far. Um... Hang out with us while watching shows live. Bobby Skinner sending some stickers in the mail. There's some shirt raffles. Um, and I think that's it. Patreon.com slash Talker Giants. Love you. Take, take it away, Steve. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Come on. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Thanks, Steve from Blues Clues. Justin, let's get into the mail. Angry Yodel at Angry Yodel. That's a great user. Do a segment on Kayvon's metrics for Carl Banks. Well, first, that's not a question. That's a demand. We usually don't. We don't. We don't really listen to demands usually. But we'll. We will make an exception. So. We did a big Cave on Thibodeau segment last week, and he was on the WFAN deal, and then the banks got uh, hung up on, um, and then you know talked about our segment, and then he had a three sack game, best game of the year. So we'll start with this with Cave on Thibodeau, right? Because he is playing better, right? Where he's the first three games of the year was trash, like tr- bad bad football play. Look like Oshane Zimenez. Um, and then got better, and now he's really coming to his own. First of all, Justin, sacks matter, especially when you do it consistently. And Kayvon has done that. He's third in the NFL with eight and a half sacks. And Justin, it, to me, it's it's about how the sacks are getting there. Like last year, he had four and a half. We don't really judge edge, uh, edge rushers in a Wink Martindale scheme by sacks. But two of those were like untouched, but he has the speed to make those untouched even quicker. Three Working outside in versus Seattle and Miami. Like that. Not a lot of rushers can do that. Then, this week is where I really get happy, Justin. The three sacks versus the Jets, working the corner. And honestly, versus a solid tackle in Mekhi Becton, right? Getting good get-off, using your hands, and getting around that corner. And then the movie put on Max Mitchell was disgusting. You had one that was just total cleanup versus San Fran. And then one one and a half working the corner versus Washington, but was more of a product of Dex and Leo. But he did get pressure and had wins in those games. So you look at these last five games, he's produced seven and a half sacks, doing things that 75% of rushers in the like that's not a statistical number, but like most pass rushers in the NFL can't do what he can, working the corner and going uh, outside in. 
Um, and his best games have been the most recent ones. So Kayvon Thibodeau is absolutely trending up as a pass rusher. And it's looking like those three games to start the season have were, have been the outlier of his career, really. Yeah, they're certainly the outlier of his season so far. And I'm a big guy. I love looking at splits. I love looking at, you know, games one through three, four through five, five through eight. And that's exactly what we're going to do here. So let's look at Kayvon Thibodeau's overall numbers. This is all according to PFF. I'm not going back and forth between pro football reference. Overall numbers on the year. He's second in sacks with nine. PFF doesn't count half sacks. He's second in sacks with nine. 27th in pressures. 34th in hurries. 31st in pass rush productivity rate. And 49th in win rate. So overall, besides the sacks, that's not good. Let's remove the first two games of the season where he didn't register a sack. And let's see what it looks like. So this is weeks three through eight. He has nine sacks. That's first. Pressures. He's 29th with nine. Hurries, 12, tied for 25th. Pass rush productivity, 22nd with 8.1. All right, so that's a little bit better. Some numbers that are more in the 20s, uh, mid-20s, and then pass rush productivity rate is in the is in the high 20s, right? So now let's remove the San Francisco game, where despite him registering a sack, Bobby, I thought that was his worst game of the year. I mean, I, I just I don't, think, I don't like, think Kayvon was setting a really good edge against San Fran. What do you have on that? I agree. I mean, Dallas, like he didn't get many opportunities to rush the pass, but he played well versus the run. But he, when he did get opportunities to do well, week two he didn't look very good. And then, like you said, week week three is his worst game as a New York Giant versus the 49ers. So these are the splits that I take the most stock into weeks four through eight because that's four, five, six, seven, eight. That's that's four, five, six, seven, eight. Good job, Justin. That's five games. Um, five games. So it's a nice little sample size of about a month. So weeks four through eight, sacks, eight, first in the NFL. Hardys, he has 12. That is tied for 13th. Pressures, he has 20. That's 12th in the NFL. Pass rush productivity, nine. That is 16th. Now that's what we like. That's what we like. Obviously, like, hey, maybe we want some of those numbers trending more towards top 10. But hey, if you're getting a bunch of sacks... Plus, the hurries and the pressures are there, too. That's what we want, and that's what you're able to help predict for sustainable success. Now, let's look through week six through eight, the last three games, where he's really been setting the world on fire. Are the hurries, pressures, pass rush productivity also matching with the sacks? Week six through eight, he has five sacks, first in the NFL. Hurries, nine, tied for eighth. We're in the top ten. Pressures, 14, tied for sixth. In the top ten, Creeping up on top five. Pass rush productivity, 9.2, 13th. So, boom, these last three weeks, and so far, Kayvon Thibodeau's season is on a trajectory, and it's on a trajectory up. And I, part of why I believe that the sacks will continue is because, number one, the hurries, the pressures, and all of the other advanced stuff, it's coming along up with Kayvon Thibodeau. If those things were trending down or if they were just tre- if they were just middling, then I'd be a little bit worried about, are the sacks going to continue? And Bobby, even if the sacks don't continue at the same rapid pace that they're coming right now, if Kayvon can continue to impact the game in ways that he has been in hurrying the, you know, getting hurries on the quarterback, pressures on the quarterback, I'm still happy with that. Now, the only issue is that I have. There's a lack of hits. He has one hit on the quarterback. He's pressuring the quarterback, but he has one hit on the quarterback outside of the eight and a half, nine sacks that he has this year, according to the PFF. There's only been one play where he's hit the quarterback where it did not result in a a sack, and his pass rush win rate has consistently been the same 
pretty much year round. It ha- it's not like week six through eight. It's really taken a little bit of a jump. It's been kind of middling around middle of the pack for edge rushers this entire year. That's the only two issues that I have. And I will say, for everybody that was talking a little bit earlier on in the year about Kayvon Thibodeau's usage and how he wasn't really used correctly, weeks one through three, 44th at pass rush snaps, 78.4% of snaps going after the QB. Weeks four through eight, 11th in total pass rush snaps, 88.6% of snaps going after the QB. So that's about a 10% increase of more opportunities that Kayvon Thibodeau is getting to rush the pass or not just being asked to drop back in coverage. And also Kayvon Thibodeau being an absolute workhorse and playing like 85 to 90% of the snaps, like each, each of these games, especially with Aziz being out, that deserves a lot of credit too, that he hasn't been, that, you know, he hasn't had to step off the field and he's been like a workhorse for this team. Yeah, I mean, and the eye test is matching the numbers these last, you know, three to five games, right? And there still is steps to go for Kayvon, right? But he's in the first half of his year, too. But if we didn't, if we got this guy, if you cut out the first three games and we just got this guy, we'd absolutely be satisfied with Kayvon while still wanting some more, right? And he played the run very consistently versus the Jets. We want him to play that consistently because he has all the ability to be a good run defender down in, down out, but sometimes it gets inconsistent. But like you said, four and a half sacks, nine pressures the last three games. You know, like for the season, he's 29th in total sack hits and pressures, which when you're third in sacks, that's not like the greatest indicator. But at the rate he's played the last three games, he'd be in that 10 to 15th range uh, for edge guys. Um, You know, and if you do it on a per snap basis, he's 31st of 58 uh, in pressure per pass rush snap. So, don't like you can't just be like oh well that's not his responsibility sometimes he's dropping in coverage that's by pass rush so like the way he's been playing lately is, is the way guys like Danelle Hunter Jadavion Clowney which are very good rush rushers and that is what we ask right like we're like I know Micah Parsons gets thrown out there especially on the radio like my ask for Mike uh Kayvon especially in year two, year two is not to be Micah Parsons Nick Bosa level those are unfair uh expectations but I do want him to play close to Aiden Hutchinson is he playing better than Aiden Hutchinson no but Aiden was also taking three picks before him you know he's right now Carl Loftus is playing really well but just play like a really good pass rush I don't even want to compare him to other guys run your own race be a really good pass rush and that's what he's been lately and that's why we were so that's why after the first three games in this because I don't want to be like oh see people doubt it that's why those first three games Justin Dallas again didn't get many opportunities but he didn't look great as a pass rusher were perplexing because this isn't an Evan Neal situation where he was really bad last year and it's like well hopefully he gets good Kayvon had a solid rookie year and put together a baseline and if you're coming out after that 49ers game it's like this guy looks like O'Shane Zimenez and nowhere near what he was even last year so what what that's why it was so perplexing um so now here's the thing we talk about you know you know splits these pass rush numbers come in bunches, right? So it's not fair to be like, oh, well, if he just does the, what he does the last three weeks, he counts. But I do think it's going to be closer to what we've gotten lately than it is that those first three weeks where he was, you know, putting up the like the worst pass rush numbers in the NFL for pass rush win rate and shit. So and and because of that, he's going to have to climb to be top of the, you know, get to the top of the league, but continue to get sacks. And even if you don't get sacks, get that certain pressure, right? Like there's, he, there still needs to be, he still needs to grow as a down in, down out rusher. Yeah. But again, but if you're in the beginning of year two and you're putting up some production, 
Well, you li- you you live with that. It's when you're just not doing anything at all and you look like just a guy out there. That's when it's not acceptable. And so hopefully Kayvon playing with a little more confidence, putting multiple moves on tape, right? Like, hey, he's been working the corner, right? He worked out. He he worked outside in, right? So that allows the corner to get there. Then then he works the you know the little hezzy move on Max Mitchell. Well, guess what? Now if you keep continuing to win around the corner, guys are going to be oversetting. That's going to set back up the inside move. Guys are going to get uh you know tackles are going to be pushing their weight too far to the outside. That's when you get. That's when you. That's when you pull a Carl Banks. Carl Banks, you've talked to him. You see it. You see a tackle just starting to get back there and wash around the corner get run through his fucking ass at that point like you you put your hands in his chest plate under his his right arm or left arm or whatever side you're lining up and you fucking jack his ass up and that's how you get to the quarterback and when you can start doing that because you look at the best pass rushers in the nfl outside of parsons but parsons does work power it is based in power right and he's still got you know some growing to do as you know as as a as a, just a human be, uh, being as growth but it's based out of power and that's when he can be consistent and when all the moves start working together and you add more stuff to your back so continue to ascend upward um well ascend upward just use the same word twice in different things uh, but continue to ascend be and just be consistent and again there's still there's still a lot of growth to be had in Kayvon's game but like I said I test his matching numbers and I am satisfied with Kayvon Thibodeau's play, happy with Kayvon Thibodeau's play, but I still do want more. Yeah, I, I agree. And my, my little last thing is, again, let's remove eye tests and I'll even stop talking about for, for stats about a sec, for a second. What did he do during the Jets game? Dominated. Dominated. Took over the game, right? You're not going to have that every single game. But what got us excited about Kayvon last year is that he had that against Washington primetime. Obviously scoring the touchdown and having that touchdown. But the game that impressed me more was the Dallas Thanksgiving game where he kicked Tyler Smith's ass for an entire game. And I don't even know if he had a sack on that game. Maybe he had one, but he had five QB hits. So you don't need to necessarily always get the forced fumble, the turnover, the three sacks, the two sacks to say you went in there and you dominated a game. You could kick a tackle's ass. You could put pressure on the quarterback. You could hit a quarterback, and you could alter a game plan. You can alter what an offense has to do simply by being dominant game in and game out. And that's what we're asking Kayvon Thibodeau to do. I don't want to have to go searching like I just did, searching in these splits for why Kayvon's having a better season than many people think, or even if outside people are starting to question it, well, this is why it's better than you think. Let's not go searching for that. Games like the Jets, games like Washington last year, games like Dallas last year aren't going to happen every single game. But they should be happening more and more on a more frequent level than they are happening right now. And that's how Kayvon Thibodeau is going to continue to shut people up. Whether it's with a 5QB hit game, whether it's with a 1-sack game, whether it's with a 2-sack game, doing whether it's for a 3-tackles-for-loss game and he's really dominant against the run and he sets a really good edge. That's how Kayvon Thibodeau is going to continue to shut people up. Yeah, and again, sacks do matter. They're more important than QB hits and pressures. And he's yes. consistently been able to do that. They are drive-ending type plays and guess what he's probably going to be the first guy to do 10 sacks in a wink martindale scheme not everyone can do that right and you know he's going to get double digit sacks this year and that's that's not just getting lucky you know you have to have ability and talent to do that obviously we want to see a little more consistency but he is definitely on the upward trend so good on good on cave on right and i think he's handled all this well 
Like I think he handled that first that criticism that was deserved earlier in the season, handled it well and is building off it. So absolutely. All right, next question. Next question, Jake Barrow at do a barrel roll. Are you guys concerned about Dable's crunch time, fourth downs late in games, etc. Decision making. If not that, what are you watching for as the biggest point of improvement for him as a head coach the rest of the season? Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to give my harshest judgment in a coach when you are in the situation you are of having Tommy DeVito out there, right? Especially in-game. Like, the Judge QB sneak, if that puts you over the limit, it's like, man, what what have you been watching the rest of the year? This is... This is just the tip of the iceberg, right? If if anything, you can make sense of that decision because the personnel was so bad. It's all the other stuff. Um, I've got to be honest. There's some things like, you know, I think they should have thrown the ball like six or seven times just so they stopped playing the Giants like it was a wildcat offense. I think they should have went for it on fourth down on earlier in the game with Tyrod still in when Darren Waller caught the pass and got a fourth and one. But if you're talking about like the fourth down decisions, the thing about analytics, right, is you kind of have to always abide for them to work, right? It's not that it's going to work every time, but it's just playing the numbers. I think the flip side of the coin of that is true when you know you have the defense, when you know you have some issues on offense on being conservative, right? So it's not, hey, go for it on fourth in the beginning game, not the end. Because me and you have said, and I, I was glad Brian Dable said very in the press conference, like very comfortable in that decision, talking about that last fourth down, kicking for it. Because to me, that is 10 times out of 10 the right decision to do. Graham Gano just missed, and he missed earlier in the game. And if, you know, if he just makes one of those kicks, they end up winning the game. Right. Um, personally, I do think, I think feel and gut matter, right? Like, I don't, I don't play, I don't believe you just, ah, always go for it or you're conservative. Like, I think, hey, Fourth down in the beginning of the game, I would have went for it. At the end of the game, absolutely not. Um, because I didn't know – I thought, you know, you didn't know how that game would come out. You didn't know your defense would be that dominant. Even if you trusted your defense to think it would be that dominant is insane. And they end up losing anyways. But this – Brian Dable, like, I don't have lots of issues with him this year. Like, as far as game plan and on the field. Like, you can talk about personnel stuff. But this coaching staff has shown the ability to adjust, Right? Like, they tried to be more aggressive and began the year, and the offensive line and the QB play pushed them away from it, right? But then you play the 49ers game, and you do stuff you did last year, and they're all over, jumping on the quick game. So what did they did? They added quick-hitting zone and man-beater concepts that were different, right? So you're playing a similar style, but doing it in different ways, getting an empty, spreading stuff out. And if it works, they spam it. If it doesn't, they adjust off of it, right? They don't throw concepts away, but they build off it. And they consistently shown as an offensive coaching staff that they've done that. Obviously, defensively, they've been really good lately. So, like, I understand. But to me, it's, it really is personnel issues with the Giants. Like, again, there's always going to be some issues calling, a miss, you know, not using a timeout here or there or whatever. But overall, like, I am, like, my faith in Brian Dable really hasn't wavered at all. And maybe that's because I've learned my lesson and don't go over. Like, okay, so here's where I think we're different, right? When we Giants traded for Boogie Bastion and Isaiah Simmons, right, Justin? Because we have the coach of the year and this coach staff, everyone. Oh, well, we'll, with our coaching staff, these dudes will be studs. And we're like, no, these guys are NFL players. You don't get good coaches and magically fix players. Um. So maybe we weren't as high coming off the coach year, although being very high on this coaching staff. But I, I, I re- like my faith in Dable 
really hasn't wavered despite not agreeing with how you handle the DeVito situation. Um, it's more really like off the field stuff that, you know, personnel decisions that I've had issues with. And that's a Joe Shane, Brian Dable collaboration. Yeah, I would say, <clears throat> you know, not straying away from even fourth. It's, it's, it's part of the fourth down discussion. I didn't think he would be a head coach to operate so scared of the offensive line. And I know that Daniel Jones and, you know, these quarterbacks are taking a historic rate of sacks and pressures and stuff like that. So it's such a it's such a tough line to give me an example of that. Well, I will. Well, here's what give I will me a, say. A, a game example of that. So it, it so this is where it comes down with the fourth downs, right? Brian Dable is one of the more conservative coaches on fourth downs so far this year after being middle of the pack last year. Um, and this is, a, I believe, Doug Analytics tweeted this out, and I believe Doug Analytics is getting this from Ben Baldwin's model, which don't throw up. Just listen to me before you – Ben Baldwin. The Giants offense had nine fourth downs this year. We're going for it would have increased their win probability by at least 1%. They've only gone for it once, which ties them for third lowest rate in terms of going for it uh, – going for fourth downs when they should have. You know, hey, maybe I should maybe hey, hand up. Maybe I should have went back on some of the the third and ones and the fourth and ones this year. I'm including third down in this too. Third, third and fourth and ones where the Giants maybe they should have went for it on fourth down when they had a fourth and one and they chose to either kick a field goal or punt or even a third down where they've chosen to pass. And Bobby, we've said in the past. I even said it on the post game pod for the Jets. Patreon got to hear it, but I actually made sure that Jeff edited it out. Because I was wrong. I originally said, Bobby, I don't think the Giants are very good on third and fourth and short. I don't think they can run the ball and pick it up. That's very wrong. Um, The Giants are good on third and fourth and one this year. They have the third highest conversion rate in the league. 16 of 19, that's 84%. So that's one of the examples of, I think, Brian Dable is operating. Third and one and fourth and one are very different, though. Okay, well, just again, just hear me out. Hear me out. Like I, Brian Dable is a head coach that I think he's operating scared of the offensive line right now, and I think you have to. Another example is the high run rate that we have on second and long. I hate the run rate that we have on second and long right now. But also, if I were in the building, it's like, well, what's the answer? <laughs> I, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's a good answer to this. But you know, he, so here's, so here's my overall conclusion. I'm not looking at Brian Dable not going for it on those eighth fourth downs or being as aggressive on second and long and being more pass-happy, I'm not looking at that as a major reason why the Giants are a losing team right now. That's bottom line. My main issues with Brian Dable really are probably my two critiques I had when he was originally hired. Not getting your own special teams coordinator. Basically being lazy in the special teams coordinator uh search process when we it was reported that like he started interviewing and basically was like hey you want the job gave it to him and the hiring of bobby johnson so uh to the second part of like what you want to see going forward one it's not really a second half of the season but after the season fire bobby johnson and thomas mcgahee those are two things i want to see how do you handle per- like it'd be easier with mcgahee because it's not necessarily his guy but bobby johnson is his guy you need to fire bobby johnson but as far as the field you got to instill some confidence back in Daniel Jones going forward, right? Because it has to be just totally shot right now from his play level and then the injury. And I think that ha- has to happen with adding concepts that a- attack the 10-plus yard range of, of the field, specifically in the middle of the field. 
Like you gotta, you've got to start taking advantage of that area of the field because until then, like you're not going to really see big steps in DJ. And we'll we'll talk about uh some other. There's some Daniel Jones stuff I want to talk about later, but that is like the on field is attacking that ten plus middle of the field range because right now it's just not being used at all by the Giants. Was it reported that Brian Dable was starting to get a little bit more involved in the offensive line meetings? Yes, absolutely, it was, and it was true. Bobby Johnson confirmed it without. Indirectly confirmed it. When was the last time that a head coach for the Giants got more involved in offensive line meetings and then what happened to that offensive line coach? <sighs> they almost got into a fight. That's yeah. the thing, though. You forget Judge wasn't going to fire Columbo. Is Judge Columbo lost his shit because he's Dumbo Columbo when he brought in uh, Gooch. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. Like, What are you watching for as the biggest point of improvement for him as head coach for the rest of the season? Like, For me, it's like, Get get me. It was for me. It's like get McGahee and Bobby Johnson out of here. That that's what it was for me. So, all right. We don't have any ads, by the way, in this pod. We did them all for the thing, other thing, right? Yep, no ads. All right. Next question. Next question is coming from Alec A at NYG Altex six two six. What has been the biggest letdown this season that you did not expect? I mean, should we say it on three? Um, one, two, three. The offense being so bare to what it was in camp. How about that? Dan- to me, it's Daniel Jones' performance in just general, right? Not even not just being what it was a game. Like, outside the Miami game, I can go and grab a good amount of plays on film where he should have thrown a ball to a player and he just didn't. And that didn't happen in 2022. And it really didn't happen in 2021 either. You know, like, basically at all. Um, and, but they, like, that hasn't happened for the sacrifice of aggression, right? Because like, oh, well, every QB misses throws. But not every QB has the lowest average depth of target two years running either. And that's the issue. It's like you can do that every QB misses some throws if you are not having bottom of the league an average depth of target and 20-plus yard throws. And they haven't made that sacrifice for that. And it um, has been a national critique over the last couple of years. This is with Jason Garrett, and this is even with Brian Dable last year. Orlovsky did this a little bit last year. Talking about how I guess Garrett's offense wasn't simplistic. Let me. Garrett's it was offense, simplistic. It was very simplistic. All right, so I can say that um, because apparently it was, it was I, much worse than Brian Dable's, despite the fact low average depth target in both. So a national critique over the last couple of years is that Daniel Jones is operating a very simplistic offense, and that any time that he is asked to do more than the simplistic offense. It, it has not gone well, and I think that is this year on steroids. Where man, like. You could tell me that Daniel Jones isn't uh, the best, not even deep ball throw, because that's not true. You, you, you could you could tell me that Daniel Jones isn't going to consistently throw the deep ball, and I'd be like, fine, I believe you, man. You know, he just likes operating the quick game, but being this bad, um, and and not being so bad in explosive play rate again and deep ball rate, that really disappointing that Daniel Jones couldn't take a step up in that department. Second year of good coaching, con- con- good continuity. Jason Garrett was bad continuity. Good continuity with Brian Dable with better weapons. That's the thing that really does suck. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot of the DJ contract about outs and stuff when it originally happened, but we did not think we would be here before the bye week of week one. Like We thought that might be a conversation after year two. Because, like, again, this is not care. This beginning of the season is not characteristic of Daniel Jones. This is his worst stretch of football in the NFL outside of, like, the first half of 2020. But then you add in the injury into it, and it makes it even worse. Um, and I'm sure confidence has to be at an all time low, too. 
that's my thing is because I've I've watched every snap of Daniel Jones essentially three times, if not more, and I, I just did not expect this out of him. And I know we'll get O line, O line, O line. I'm telling you, I watched the film, and there has been O line issues in the past, and I have not seen him miss, pass up, screw up plays like he has uh, in these games this year outside of outside of Miami and one half versus Arizona. Yeah. Yeah, and and then I guess the the only question is, were they asking him to run that stuff over the last couple of years? That's the only question. Yeah, they and they they weren't, and we're like, okay, well, offensive line, wide receiver, and we got the answer that it's it's a little bit of both, but it's more on DJ than we originally had thought. Yep. So, all right, next question. Next question. Um, is there any? Is there anything? What has been the biggest letdown this season? You did not expect. Yeah, yeah, the off. I mean, it's really, it's really the offense. Um, I'm really glad the yeah, defense I mean, has picked it up. Looking for something more specific than fifty percent of football. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of Giants, or, or I'm sorry, Nooner at one Giant Nooner. Speaking of Giants players with the last name Banks, oh, are we overhyping Deontay Banks? He has seemingly been good locking players down, but has drawn a lot of defensive pass interference flags. Yes, people are overhyping Deontay Banks, but to me, not overly hyping him. Like normal rookie overhyping. Because here's my thing. He absolutely looks like he belongs in the NFL. And my biggest worries with Deontay Banks have not shown up. And I think it's a great coaching job by Jerome Henderson. And that is timing up his jams and just losing the release. And when you lose a release badly in the NFL, it makes you look silly. And Justin, I met, like, that first week of camp, we're like, Oh my God, our worst fears are showing up. This guy's getting cooked at the release every time and he's four or five yards behind on the play. Every, almost every single play. Um, and that really hasn't showed up. Now he did lose it a couple times to Garrett Wilson. Um, and you wonder if it could show up a little more if you get, start giving him the wide receiver one duties a little more. But it was also like, it wasn't like, it wasn't ugly like it was at camp and it wasn't ugly like you might project when watching him at Maryland. Uh, but, Justin, he's giving up 55% of his passes, which is really good. Um, now, some have been missed throws and stuff, but it's also a product of the style of defense that the Giants play, where it leads to inaccurate throws outside the numbers. Um, but, like, there has been some low moments. Terry McLaurin beat him for two deep passes, and he even had safety help over the top. Garrett Wilson, you know, worked him all day, and that was his first day really covering a wide receiver one from start to finish, where McLaurin came more and... and uh, you know, McLaurin was shared responsibilities. He gave up touchdowns to the Seahawks and a seventh-round rookie versus the Niners and, and have missed second half of the games early on the season. But, I mean, he's fifth in NFL and fourth in completions, 18th in pass breakups, not giving up a high completion percentage. So, yeah, is there overhype? Yeah, but it's that's natural. I, I, I'm very happy with Deontay Banks. Not saying he's some lockdown corner right now, but he uh, corners sometimes they come in and they just look like they don't belong. And that has not happened with Deontay Banks. No, not at all. Um, Second most snaps and man coverage out of all corners this year. Now, he is the most targeted and has allowed the most catches, um, but 60% completion rate allowed in man is tied 33rd best among CBs with at least 193 snaps. And here's the thing. Like, again, most targeted and allowed the most catches in man, but again, he's taken the most snaps in man coverage, ninth in snaps per target, and 11th in snaps per reception 
in man coverage, with which that I think is pretty, pretty good. Very close to top 10 numbers stuff right there for Deontay Banks in man coverage. When that was like Deontay Banks in man coverage, you know, he was touted as the as a man coverage corner, man coverage corner, because he was drafted to a man coverage system. But it was you, Bobby, who like, oh, I'm a little bit more confident in him in zone. And the fact that he has, you know, these numbers in man, ninth in snaps per target and 11th in snaps per reception, I think is pretty good to start his NFL career, man. I, I'm not complaining at all. And Deontay Banks has been one of the biggest bright spots for this Giants defense so far. Not not because like he's playing lockdown corner, but because you could see the trajectory of him into him growing into a very good NFL player who's not even 23 yet. You could see that the trajectory is there for a first-round pick, and that is nice. Yeah, and he's gotten better in zone. Like You think of the Arizona game. They played a good amount of quarters coverage in that game in zone, and he kind of got baited into some stuff and gave some passes to Zach Ertz. Where Then you see the instincts pop up in the Commanders game where you get the interception where it's like you turn your zone into man, but you remember your zone, you turn, you flip your hips, and you get an interception on a play and take advantage of a bad throw. So, yeah, I've been very happy with his progression. Again, obviously, there's always going to be overhype with a rookie who is not playing bad, right? Like that's that's par for the course. Um, and it's how do you, how much do you grow in year two and year three that tells the story of a player? But uh, I'd rather be in this spot to, and then the panic spot, which we've been in with first round corners before, which almost always leads to being a bad player. Now, something to look out for for the rest of the season, Devonta. <laughs> excuse me. Devontae Adams is a wide receiver that's going to be coming up, that's going to be on the outside. A.J. Brown, even though they put Cordell Flott on A.J. Brown last year. That was really fun last year. Um, A.J. Brown's another outside number one wide receiver that's coming up on the schedule. Um, Help me out here with some more. Terry McLaurin again. He's got to be better at the catch point, right? And those are are guys that are going to test you. So if he gets to – now that the season's kind of over – I actually am really like, and the season wasn't most likely over. I'd rather see Adore covering Devontae Adams because I've talked about the release. The king of the release in the NFL is who? Devontae Adams. I would really like, not expecting him to win that, but I want to see how, how, how close can you stick with this cat? Um, and then AJ Brown is the king of the catch point and we'll see how he does there. So again, he's got shit to grow on, right? But I, yeah. I think he's looked, he's held his own pretty damn well. But the whole point why I bring up some of the wide receiver ones that we're playing. Patriots, not really anything significant there. Packers, you could say Christian Watson, but he's had a really disappointing year. New Orleans Saints, Michael Thomas isn't what he or Chris Olave, excuse me. So Chris Olave versus Deontay Banks. That should be that should be a fun one. So I, I'm with you, man. Where I kind of hope that they, Adoree Jackson's not coming back. At least I don't think so. Um, I kind of want to see Deontay Banks against these wide receiver ones simply from an evaluation standpoint, because. How Deontay Banks finishes his rookie year, the Giants will have to have a decision to make if they don't bring back a Dory Jackson. What do they want? Are they going to be investing in a CB2? Or are they going to be investing in a CB1? That's a decision that they're going to have to make this offseason. And, and, and if you too early or if you, if you are indecisive about if Deontay Banks can be a CB1 in 2024... And that could really that could really be a main decider on kind of like what your defense looks like if Deontay Banks isn't ready to handle the CB one duties so early in his career. So that's like a big uh, that, that's like a big underrated decision that the Giants need to make this offseason. How about we get two CB ones? Defense is a lot fun, more fun to watch when you have that. James Bradbury to Dory Jackson. That was fun. Next question. 
next week. You know what? I I'm 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 with you on that. Um, you know, there's one position that I'm down to spend a little money on, and, and it's and it's cornerback. NYG fan in Charlotte. Some call him Research Rick. As we approach the midpoint of the season, what takes are you most proud of and most embarrassed by since the end of training camp? And what are your boldest takes for the second half of the year? Let's start off with the first half. So, unfortunately, because they suck, the takes that you're right on are Very mostly few. negative. So, it's like, one, Bobby Johnson not being a good O-line coach. Evan Neal improving, but still not very good. Andrew Thomas is the most important player on this offense, and we've you know said that, and Daniel Jones' success correlating to him, which we'll come into a take later. And the two positive ones. Jalen Hyatt would be top five in yards per catch, but not get a lot of usage. I'm right on that so far. And this one, I thought I was wrong after the first two weeks of the season, but that Micah McFadden would look like a lot better player next to Bobby Okereke. Those are those are the takes where I I guess would be the most proud of. I guess just the most right on that weren't like the most obvious takes, because honestly, like sometimes the right take is usually not bold. Unfortunately, I have a really bad memory, so I a lot of my takes were positive, man, and that's what sucks about this year. I know that's why it's it's. Uh... You know, I've seen some people recently, you know, you just you just see comments, whatever, 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 especially now that Carl Banks has been talking about us every day, which is great. Um, you know, there are people, oh, these guys don't get anything right. Well, it's like, you what know. What are you talking really- about? We get almost everything right, to be, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back. I mean, we get some, what what has been the thing we've been very wrong about, which I'll I mean, talk about embarrassed. We were optimistic about the offense and, you know. Yeah, but it also, like, you can see how it snowballed, right? It, like. At, so was so were beat reporters who aren't yeah. like fans of the team and shit. Like so were like NFL analysts about this team. Like I don't. Anyways, unless you unless like I hate to use the word hater. Unless you literally are just a hater and you thrive off of that, and that's your like online persona. Nobody thought the offense would be this bad, and those people didn't think that either. Yeah, embarrassed is is Gus going with that? I really thought Daniel Jones was going to have a good year, right? Like one, he's put together a baseline of a good quarterback in the NFL to me, which we'll get into my next take. But after camp, dude, I was after camp and preseason, I was like, this dude's going to ball this year with these new weapons, and um, you know, maybe it does look a lot better with Thomas, but I, 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 I really cannot believe that DJ has played at the level that he has. Yeah. Uh, Boldest takes for the second half? It's uh, Now I'm going to double down, though. I think Daniel Jones will be pretty good in the second half of the season with Andrew Thomas back. Although, I don't think I'm going to be very happy because, again, for me to be really thrilled with Daniel Jones, he needs to take the next level of opening up the field, attacking middle uh, open field safeties. And I just don't see that happening, but I do think he's going to get back to his level of play, which is a pretty good, it's a, at least a solid quarterback in the NFL. Is that bold? Yeah. Nah, I don't know, man. I don't know, man. The only thing that worries me about that is his confidence. Because you saw the DJ of old in the Miami game, despite the numbers not being there. Um, but what's, what's your bold take for the second half? This was the question I did the least thinking on. I'm back to not caring again. And that's you what care. this Jets game did to me. You care. You care. I'm back to not caring again. Um, win, win three games in a row, and I'm back in. 
Beat the Raiders. We're going to be live for the Raiders game with the Just Giants We will guys. be live for the Raiders. We still didn't formally tweet that out yet. It's Wednesday's a good time. It's not a something you need that. to really tweet out. We'll just be like, hey, we're going to be live for the game. It's a big deal that we're live for I think game anyone that wants to watch live with us is probably listening to this portion of the podcast anyways. It's a good point. Such a good point. Um, trying to think of a bold take. I have a bold take that you won't be watching the Knicks uh, by the end of the Giants season. I disagree. I'm in. Isaiah Hartenstein. My favorite player on the Knicks. Yeah, okay. He is my favorite player. I'm all in on the Knicks this year. Tonight's a, tonight's a must-win game against the Cavaliers. All right, next question. Next question. No bold takes. Un- very unbold of you. Well, it, it, the boldest thing that I said there was that it was that game four against the Cavaliers was a must-win game. Uh, the Restoring Masculinity podcast. Okay, thinking about checking that out. Um, restore M-A-S- Matt. Oh, restore, restore Mask Pod. There you go. Check it out. What's your guys' goal with the podcast? Are you looking to get into larger media roles? Will we always have talking giants? And what do I do if my dog took up smoking recently? Well, one, Bobby? you let your dog make their own decisions. You you, know, you can't be a you can't be a, a helicopter dog owner. Sure. Honestly, I don't know. Right? Like my goal is always just to be the best and just keep going and going and going. That I don't really have any goals. And you would say like, well, we're doing John Boy Media football. But really, until they bring someone on who that is their main thing, like I don't really have any concrete goals because it's like impossible to reach them with without that. But I don't want to work anywhere else, right? So it's not like oh, I want to go work at ESPN or whatever, unless I got offered just some huge money like bag. Then I would I would have to at least think about it, unless I was doing it on my own. Um, so I'm going to be honest. I don't really have any, like, large Talking Giants goals, but I do hope it's always here. Like, I hope me, you, and Danny are doing preview pods in the year 2038. Yeah, man. They, they recently, you know, we just got, like, an annual review thing for John Wayne Media, and they said, what are your career goals? And I the said, oh. F- I, I thought about making a joke on that and just putting FBGM, but I decided not to. Ah, it's basically what your LinkedIn bio is. No, you're stunting. Stunting. You should yeah, do, continue this. Continue to stunt. Continue to stunt at John Wayne Media, and, I, and I, what I put there is like, what are my career goals? Like I said, I haven't really thought about it because this was my first full time job out of college. It was my second job, but it, that was a part time job that I had. My first full time job out of college, and what I said is, I just, I just want to be the best. Like that's the goal best. with the podcast. Is I, the I just, I just want to be the best, and I want to be, be known best. as the best, and like. Getting into larger media roles, like I'm with you, Bobby, where it's like, I think JM football is how we get into those larger media roles. And like going from being known locally to being known nationally is how, you know, you can, you know, really help make a company make money. And then therefore, you know, you you take off like with your own personal self and your own personal goals. So that's my goal right now. Um, And Talk of Giants is a huge part of us taking off because it's already a, you know, a top 50 football show in the nation already. Um it's already a, a YouTube a YouTube channel that is helps a company make money that doesn't have a lot of people working on it. I like got a current, goal. You have a goal. And this is serious, not even joking. Continue to grow Talking Giants, but never losing the Talking Giants versus the world mindset. Because I'm telling you, there's people that push for you to lose the Talking Giants versus the world mindset, and I refuse. 
I refuse. I will do anything it takes to win. Like I don't, I don't want to lose, and the the fuck around mindset we have at times. Um, yeah, and everything that we do so, is rooted. And, I, in- and also, like no bullshit social media clickbait, blah blah blah. Like, um, yeah, that's that's what I want. So yeah. hey, we're putting out a full clip of of a mailbag segment on this pod, and we used to do that, and they did well. Can we start doing that instead of one minute social clips that really don't benefit the show they're just putting out social clips they to put do out social they clips. do benefit the show because financially they, we, we can we can have this conversation off put it on air, youtube they, shorts but i'm saying like twitter no but they it benefits the show because it makes a lot of, we'll, we'll have this conversation off air i don't want to have this conversation on air it really does benefit the show a lot and it helps us as employee and it makes us look much better and to it who? helps the company a lot hmm. disagree um so, yeah, I never want us to lose the edge. All right, that's an episode. Also, I would leave to do something in racing. Um, I'm kind of all back in on racing. So, if the, I got, you know. Just Mike like Ford, I'm all back in on the Knicks. If Mike Ford. No, I'm actually in. I'm, I I went through the whole season. I watched the Martinsville race last week during the during the, the 4 o'clock games. Um, and we will have it on a TV for our live stream on Sunday, the championship. So, Mike Ford, if you're listening to this pod, just know. I will, I will leave John Boy Media and Talking Giants for a job in NASCAR if it's paying well enough. So just 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 let that be known for the children out there and your grandparents. Alright. Well uh I will I will turn my back on you for cars. Uh my diecast collection is getting over the top. I just got a Kyle Bush number five Lowe's Bush series car, Justin. I'll send you a picture of it. Oh I'd love that. Those All are right, the days. We'll, we'll uh we'll see you on Friday for a Raiders preview, baby. We'll see you then. Until then Let's go big blue.